Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Want award-winning box sets? Try Now TV. See every epic episode of Game of Thrones. Both sides of the law in The Wire and why succession got everyone talking. So, treat yourself to award-winning shows on a Now TV entertainment pass. To start your 14-day free trial today, search Now TV. 18 plus new customers only. Order renews at 15 euro unless cancelled. Offer ends 7th of July. Terms apply. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's Slacker Podcast with myself Phil Taggart. For the uninitiated uh, of this podcast, my name is Phil. No middle name, Taggart Mima. I thought it was just a waste of time. To be fair to her, she's right. Uh, I'm a DJ and broadcaster on BBC Radio 1. I do a show on a Sunday night at 7pm called The Chillest Show on Planet Earth. And another show called The Hype Chart as well. And apart from that, I'm normally out speaking about music, chatting about music, maybe chasing your dog down the street, shouting musical suggestions at it. Um, you'll probably find me doing that somewhere. If you want to follow me, it's at Philly Taggart on Twitter, at Philly Taggart on Instagram. And it is flipping splendid that you're listening to this podcast right now. Um, we're on episode 9 of season 2. If you're fresh to the Slacker podcast, it's really simple. We get artists on. We talk about those early demos, those really, really early days in the band. The early days are always full of romance and splendor and and so much wrong turns. It's always a really interesting place to start. And I really enjoyed last week's one with Johnny Marr. It was one of my favorite ones I've ever recorded because I was just an absolutely massive Smiths fan. And for him to bring on a demo that hasn't been heard anywhere before off the Smiths was a massive thumbs up for me. This week we have got the one and only Pete Doherty and I will get to that in just a second because dun, 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 dun. for anybody who has been following uh, this season's podcast you will have heard me every single week um, batter on to you about this book that I have written. Well finally, finally it is here. It is out this Thursday the same day that this podcast drops. And it is available from phil dot com 
or from Amazon, or if you pop into Rough Trade, you might be able to find a copy as well. Um, the book is specifically for artists and bands and producers and people who may, might want to start out in the music industry. It takes the music industry and just demystifies um, the whole thing. It can be a very, very confusing thing. If you've made a song and you're like, I I don't know what to do with it next. What what do I do? Do I strap it to a carrier pigeon? I don't know how to make a music video. How am I ever going to play these festivals? Nobody's ever going to listen to my band. I've got an album to do. And, you know, some of those are some of the questions in it. But it's 20 chapters long and it starts at the very beginning of you making music and goes the whole way through. And it's got contributions from people like Wolf Alice and Slaves and George Ezra and Lil Sims and uh, Run the Jewels and Charlie XEX and people from Polydor Records and people from independent record labels, um, the PRS publishers and a massive shout out to the people at Help Musicians. Um, they helped support me during the the book and helped the book uh, sort of come to fruition. So massive love to Help Musicians UK um, for their support. And also uh, they give some really, really good advice on the mental health chapter, which is uh, called self-care, which is chapter 20, and the chapter on funding as well. So mad love to the Help Musicians family for that. Uh, yeah, so if, if you've got somebody... Uh, a friend of yours or a relation and they're really mad into making music buy them the book philtaggartslacker.com for that this week we have pete doherty and it's crazy do you know i'm gonna have to listen over to the this just before it goes out again because he goes into a lot of graphic detail and i'm I'm a humongous pete doherty fan like uh, the the Libertines were one of those uh, sort of bands that you have when you're when you're growing up that mean a lot to you. Like they they definitely were were seminal to me in my sort of making music, playing in bands. When we used to play in bands, we used to run about in military jackets and we used to cover Libertine songs. I've just got such happy memories of listening to their first album and their second album. And I've been following Pete Doherty's career as pretty much most people have over the years because he's been in and out of the papers for the for many different reasons um but i'm just a fan of the music that he makes and that's exactly what we're here to talk about today um he brought in a really special unheard uh demo of can't stand me now and do you know what the, the lyrics are so different in it and i mean the whole song's so different that it kind of almost changes what it was all about and what why people and why journalists and why people gravitated towards it because that song was about the sort of friction between Carl Barat and Pete Doherty at the point where the band was basically breaking up. So it's interesting to hear what it was like in the demo and almost more interesting to think about where it actually ended up. But I will shut up now. Apart from saying buy my book, philtaggerslacker.com. Jesus, I really am shameless. I'm also getting really good at talking about it now because I've done about a billion interviews. Um, so here we go. This week's podcast with Pete Doherty in three two oh and just before we get to one i'm going to take a couple of weeks break now because i am exhausted with all of the book stuff and podcast stuff and everything so i'm just going to take a couple of weeks to myself and i'm going to come back in june at some point with the f- remainder episodes of season two in one here we go 
Ladies and gentlemen, good people of the jury, it is myself, Phil Taggart, and I've got Pete Doherty with me right now. How's it going? Hello, Phil. Yeah, all right. Thanks for having me. Lovely to be here. Here we are, in our um, Soho dungeon, doing another yeah. podcast. Bunkered in with my baby wipes and a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, what else could sort you out? Don't dunk the baby wipes into the tea biscuits, it'll work, work a bit better. No, they clog everything up. <laughs> How are you getting on? How's life? Life's... Uh yeah, life's exciting at the moment. I've got a little solo project on the go to put my Jays, and we've made a record, and we're putting it out ourselves. And uh, yeah, no, exciting is the right word because uh, we're putting it out ourselves. Yeah, well, I and think it's coming uh, out. that's the that's the first time you've done done that. Like you put put anything out like DIY, and that, that, it, that it is, and it's the first time I've dug in and done the promo with enthusiasm and yeah, and pleasure. And it's the first time we've actually got reviews where people actually seem to listen to the record and yeah I'm quite intrigued by the whole process now as opposed to you know avoiding it and yeah yeah like uh, it's 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 kind of but the thing is maybe like the way that the media like uh, were, were treating you around the records like they were more interested in the circus around it rather than the music shocking at that point. absolutely shocking yeah they call it the English disease don't they or was that football organism? No, <laughs> it's this it's this culture, isn't it? This celebrity culture where you're famous for being famous and where a review of a record release can not include any mention of of the music. I mean, how dare the Daily Mail give me a good review? You know what I mean? <laughs> After years of me putting out half decent music, some really good music, and they've never fucking reckoned me, and now they've given me four out of five. I mean... Shocking, you know. Does that seem sort of like some sort of like media redemption for you? Like them coming back and going, we're going to talk no, about it's the music. Very, very iffy, you know. It's like uh, it's like someone you've never trusted and who's never made any secret of the fact that they don't like you suddenly put their arm around you in the pub and offering you, well, their wife and a line and a drink and whatever you want, mate. You know, what's mine is yours. Very dubious. <laughs> it's a wee bit. Um, so we start every single podcast with uh, a demo, like an, uh, as early a demo as we can possibly dig out. And I've got one here from from you, and I like I don't like listening to it until uh, till till we're in the room together. Ah, um, get away. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna stick it on now. We've got this demo of yours, which Hi. is a demo of Can't Stand Me Now. Here it is. Long intro vibe,
Stick with it, yeah, yeah. Teach me how to play guitar, smoke a cigarette like a superstar, and then a really dodgy line, something about a wonder bra. Yeah, 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 so on and I read every review, they all prefer you. that it's like wearing your your brother's like hand-me-down suit or uh, school uniform and then the one that went on the record is like oh i just got a brand new school uniform that one's got the character um yeah. on it and the, the other one does too what was the, what went through your head for the first I time when you heard realized that the house next door to me is a brass house and i've seen all the girls well ladies in their in school uniform on their fag break yeah I've <laughs> been like, in their 30s, you know, but yeah, anyway. And that's because uh, there's lyrics in that track that never it's, made it yeah, onto it's the Yeah, it's like people always say that song is a personal, uh, like a very personal account of, like, you know, the what was going on with me and Carl. Well, that demo is like, you know, it's like the, the bits of your journal that you rip out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That bit about, um, I read every review, they all prefer you. That was, that was what was always, we were always arguing about that. If there was ever a review that you know we would, we were in the early days, but that, we that, were so weird about fame. We'd read reviews and we'd get the name and address of the people that would give us bad reviews <laughs> and, and go and see them. And then, did you ever like del- deliver them? Like, uh, like what, we, what, what no, we've had like uh, court orders put on us, yeah, from journalists and and then uh, on each other, really. I suppose by the end. Yeah. There was a real sense of elation when, when you were listening to that, like 20, 30 seconds and you had your eyes closed and it felt like you were like being back into the room when you were making that. Yeah, it was it was strange hearing that, yeah. And I'm supposed, was it easy to find that? Um, I got I got sent it by, by um uh your manager. Yeah. Uh but like and he assures me he's like going, We've got the MP three, it's on Pete's iMac back in Margate, I'll go back and get it next week. <laughs> you, you like do you do you do you hold all the demos? Like, are you the gatekeeper of all of the music and memories? 
accidentally, yeah, it turns out to be so. That iCloud's amazing, you know? Just when you think you've lost everything, Boom. it's all there, you know? Yeah. Everything, all your contacts, all your voice memos, and it's all about the voice memos, really, because you'd be sat. Even that, I think, was a recording of a recording in the end, because we lose an awful lot of things. Yeah. But there are, yeah, there are reams of, yeah, just untitled files, and when you when you open them up, it's where someone's just left their iPhone in the rehearsal room, or you know, on the table on the bus, and it's you hear like you know germination of songs and you know late night conversations and a lot of late night jams. We think, what the f-, you know? It must must be good when you're like scrapping around to like go oh, right. Do you know what? I need to make a record. That's I need it. To remember. Yeah, no, that's it. You need to find so- someone who can uh, edit and engineer uh, and can see the beauty in the. Uh-huh. Uh, well, in the turd. What do you remember, like of of that era, like uh, that that of writing that song? Do you remember when about that was? Was that like uh, after up the bracket? Did you write that before, or was that uh, like? No, it was long after the world. Well, say longer. It was before, bracket, like yeah. before the second record, right? Uh, the record was ready to go when we got the deal with Rough Trade. Yeah, and that was what the deal was about, really. Them songs, up the bracket, time for heroes, boys in the band, begging, general smuts, baseline and vertical, Bangkok, vertigo, what a tune, and they were all. Yeah, they were written in kitchens in, in, in Hackney. And then Can't Stand Me Now was after we got signed and, you know, we had our own gaff, our own kitchen, like an open plan sort of vibe. It, it, it sounds probably more delightful than it probably was. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, no. It's all, it's a, <laughs> Lovely yeah, open plan. We, like all a, the, a when we, the when we got a record deal, we, got it, we made sure we got all that in cash and we used to iron it. We had it in the kitchen, in the fridge, and we'd iron it. What, the cash that you got from yeah, Rough Trade? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How long did it last in the fridge for? Oh did, no! Did it move from fridge to a fridge? Of hours, like yeah. No, we had, <laughs> we had a cool box as well. Yeah. Um, no messing about. And um, can't stand me now. Came out of the split, didn't it? It was a song that we did after Alan McGee got the band back together after we'd fallen out, and that line in there in the single, it's your light fingers through, through the, the dark. dark. Shattered the lamp, but and there it's from the Shelley poem when the lamp is shattered, the light in the photo says, Your light fingers through the dart that shattered the lamp, as opposed to a hand, you know, going through the shadowy alleyways uh-huh. and, and unlocking a window from the inside. What was it like when you brought that to the band? Because, like, obviously, like that, you, I always think about when people write songs or like friends of mine write songs about love or, or breakups or whatever. I always think, What does their girlfriend think? But like, like, what does the band think? If you're writing a song about a relationship with the band, do they turn up? Go, oh my god, what a tune! This is amazing. <laughs> Shit, this they is about have, me. <laughs> they always have the monitor with my voice in it down anyway, so yeah. they just like get stuck into the music and they get carried away. Like, um, you know, whereas I go into full on method mode quite happily. I think it's what it's all about. That moment when you bring songs like that to the band and you know it needs something else, you know. Like there's a bit in there missing where Gary doesn't. Yeah, you know it needs that. It does need it that. Does it need does that. need that. It needs a little trimming, and uh, yeah, it needs to go on a little bit of a diet. It's it's mad though, like because like great music can be born out of people who don't even have a relationship. Like, I remember reading about Mick Jones and Joe Strummer, and how uh, Joe Strummer would go around to Mick Jones' house and post his lyrics through the letterbox. Right. He wouldn't even say hello to him. He'd just go right there's the song. You go write it. Well, Joe Strummer just said that Mick Jones. At his worst, was like Elizabeth Taylor in a filthy mood. That's how we described him. And I think Morrissey and Ma worked in a similar way where yeah. they'd send a cassette or Ma would send the music. I just found that fascinating. Yeah, but like, that no one would know the lyrics. 
until he turned up and did the take, Morrissey. And he'd only do it in one or two takes, apparently. But that's what he... Like, when, when he was on, he said that they, they wrote the pretty much the first album in, like, about four, four two-hour sessions around each other's house. And they didn't speak about anything else other than the songs. And then they just left. That was it. Yeah. A pure, virtuous relationship. Yeah. Same with Carla. It was very, very tense and difficult always. But when it came to writing the songs, we did it quickly. And, you know, like a... Yeah like an assass- assassination it's Bottle and the Lightning isn't it yeah they were a good band and all yeah <laughs> Ian Brown and John Squire I think did it by cassette didn't they yeah. yeah I'm still waiting on that new Stone Roses album to come out <laughs> I think we'll be waiting a long 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 time yeah. um, and it so won't have a drum machine there's one thing I want to ask you about like you, as a like as a Northern Irish person you, you spent some time in Lisburn right when you were growing up I did I lived at 111 Mountain View Drive uh County Antrim, yeah, three and a half years I was there actually in the early to mid eighties. I, I was think. Going, I was yeah. going to say what age? I think I went there when I was five and left when I was eight. Did you, did you come, little, like? Did you move back to England with a strong Northern Irish accent? No, my little sister was born there though. Yeah, my little sister was born in Belfast, and we went from there, which was as you can imagine, like you know yourself, Northern Ireland in the eighties was a pretty rough. Diff- yeah, it was a different place to to to. to but when you we went from there to Cyprus, where it was like you know so hot you didn't even they didn't even send you to school anyway. There wasn't a school really for the army kids and oh yeah, also being an army kid in in Northern Ireland. But that's that's all, strange as well because like you're you, you're like an army kid like your, your dad worked in the army, but you're an Irish Catholic, or like sorry you're a Catholic but with um, Irish relatives. Well, my father came from a Irish Catholic background in Paddington, and yeah. and him joining the army was. I think the biggest two fingers up we could have given to. It know, wasn't a really, to that environment. It you know? wasn't a done deal back in like when when your dad would have joined the army. Like it was like for. He, no, in '68, like he he just decided he was either going to like if he stayed in London, he was going to go to jail and not from, you know. And when I talked to him about the '60s, he said I must have been great in the mods, and he said no, it was really hard. You know, really like pissed on my dreams there. Actually, the '60s said it was horrible. So he fancied himself as a Marine, went to join. The Marines were closed, yeah. but the Army office was open down <laughs> Piccadilly. And then next minute he's on train to Aldershot and he never looked back. But yeah, a lot of his so mates went the other way, if you know what I mean. That's, you know? that's what happens. They Completely the other way. Like, And it, in fact, yeah, some interesting... People, people get sent to the Army to sort of straighten them out. Like in America, it's like, oh my God, my kid's got a B in his test. I'm going to send him to military school. Yeah. Or it used to be like it was the only way out of prison, you know, that you could join the army, you know, traditionally. Like yeah. Tommy Atkins, isn't it? Tommy this and Tommy that. Was there was there much music? And kick him out the brute, but it's thank you, Mr. Atkins, when the guns begin to shoot. <laughs> there was music because my dad, I remember giving me a guitar when we lived there, and I didn't really. It's like the Chaz and Dave song, where he looks at it and doesn't know what to do, so he starts thumping it, and then just carries on strumming. And yeah, there's a guitar knocking about the house. And I remember there was these. I don't know if maybe you're a bit younger than me, but there were these travelling street performers and all the kids would sit in a circle on the grass and these fellas would have painted faces and they'd do plays, you know, for the community. Yeah, I think that's... Is that called the Mummers or something like that? Yeah. And I remember them having a guitar and asking for a volunteer and I he put his hands around from the back of me, right, and did the chords and I'd strum it and uh, you know what, I've only just thought of that. I wonder if that's true. That's a true story. Yeah, so it's like I, 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 I'm, I've told like 
sometimes I get my sort of own imagination mixed up with yeah. the rest of it, you know. <laughs> Go on, give us one of your myths. What, 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 one, of my, one of my myths? There's, there's one, right, that I've got, and I've told the story so many times that I can't remember if it's true or not. And I went to see Shane McGowan and the Popes, right? It wasn't the Pogues. The, 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 the Popes were referred to, um, maybe unfairly, as his drinking band, right? <laughs> Which is saying a lot. Um, but I think I was first year of university, and we went down to a place called Tombridge, just outside of Derry, and there was a band called the Rednecks that were supporting, right? So you can kind of pic- picture the saw- spitting sawdust environment off uh, it. Tin trays, uh, there's or... there's no no barrier around at all. He comes out, and he's swaying on his stool, and he's in bad nick, right? And we're a little bit pissed off, and we're in bad nick too. But we're, <laughs> but we're like, right? Do you know what? Fuck this! Like we've paid our money. We want to see Shane McGowan. You gotta play. So. He's drinking a bottle of white uh, uh, white wine, Gato Negro. Is that his? Uh, that's the pint glass. Yeah, that's the name of his like the wine he was drinking. And so I just grabbed it from the stage and pin- and pinned it in front of him and passed it to my mate. And he just suddenly just like woke up out of a stupor, yeah. grabbed the heavy bottom ended mic stand and then tr- tried stab- <laughs> stabbing it into the, the 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 crowd. And we were like ducking and diving. We managed to get away with it. And then I tried to go backstage to get him to sign it later on. My friends tried to drag me away because then he'd smash it over my head if he seen me. So that's one of the ones where I'm, I know that like three quarters of it's true, but I'm not sure if I've yeah. just like, if I fixed oh, the narrative God. to make it a better story. I remember he came up to me once and he said, congratulations, you're now the most obnoxious man in pop. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been like, what, what do you say when Shane McGowan like passes you the baton like that? I don't know, you just beam, I suppose, and like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm really proud of that. Yeah, passes you the baton. When when I came over to London for the first time as a, as an adult, the one place that I wanted to visit, we were coming over to see Blur. I think we were like 17 or 18. And I, I took three of my friends to go to a place called Filthy McNasty's. And the, Cross. and the reason I wanted to go to Filthy McNasty's is because you guys had played your early shows there. Yeah, I and I wanted there. to sort of go and soak in the, like the very early days of the Libertines. I think it might have changed a bit. Yeah. Right, yeah, no, no, but this wasn't like like this was a while ago. Um, it was still a, it was just the year before it closed down. All right. And I was just like I was just wondering. I was looking at this small pub and I was just wondering like there was this is where it all really began, isn't it? Yeah, Arcadian cabaret nights at Filthy McNasty's. Yeah, me and Rabbi John, yeah, pulling pints and ducking and diving and trying to get the band to, to turn up. It used to be the fountain, that pub, before it became Filthy's, and it was the worst pub in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you remember the sign, the silhouette of a fellow with a massive Uta and a, uh-huh. and a fedora? Yeah. It says, Here comes a regular. Yeah. A few grand regulars there. It was uh, like that was like the early iteration of the of the band. Like was that when Johnny Burrell was in in the group? He was in it for a while, wasn't he? He rehearsed with us twice. And is that it? Like that was right. He was yeah. supposed to play bass for us the night that we were doing the Rough Trade Showcase, and he phoned and said, "I can't show up, but I'm living the dream in Cardiff with the Alabama Free." We were like, "What the fuck? <laughs> we're playing. We've got the fucking showcase tonight." So we had me and Carla to swap guitar and bass between songs, and that was kind of like we got signed, but. You got signed regardless because the tunes were good, but like right. But that was the first night that Endicott, you know, appeared like a sweaty angel there with his anecdotes about Julian Casablancas and his uh, converse. This is your A and R man from that trade. It, uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. I'm not going to go into all that anyway. Yeah, I want to tell you a story about Derry. When yeah, okay. we pulled up there 
in a bus and I thought, oh, yeah, but like, these are my people. So I stuck my head out the top of the tour bus and... Is this with Baby Shambles, Libertines? It was Baby Shambles, yeah. yeah. No, I never went... I don't think you went with the Libertines, but I know you went with Baby Shambles. No, I never went... No. I, I was pretty... I, was, I think I was at all those shows, so I can probably remember them pretty well. Someone like, shouted, Duck and eat your plum bag. And a bottle <laughs> came flying over and smashed on the end of the guitar. And after that, I was just like poking the guitar at the top and then, yeah, pulling it in as the bottles came. <laughs> and then they all like, expected to get on the guest list. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, that, 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 the thing is, like, not a lot of bands would tour through Derry at that time. So, like, that was uh, uh, that, that was them showing affection. It was yeah. everybody so riled up and excited that something's coming through town that they don't know how to like, control it. I felt themselves. the affection. I did. I did. I felt <laughs> what was like? What was the first guitar that you like actually like learned to play? That you were like going, "This is mine. I love this guitar." All right. I thought it was a huge FO Gibson, but. And everyone knew it was, and everyone knew it was an Indian copy, and it was a V, not a B, but done to look like a B. It was a Gibson, right? That I got for 30 quid, and my pride and joy, and I customised it. But yeah, I think someone did put me out of misery. It's not a Gibson, Pete, what? it's a Gibson. Right? Oh. Like when Scarborough Steve, but the original the... Libertine singer, told me he'd written all these Arthur Lee and Love songs who I'd never heard of. Yeah. And so I was going around playing them to people, saying, listen to this new tune we've got, you know, Alone Again, or House Is Not A Motel, signed yeah. DC. And they're just looking at me like, uh, and no one would tell me. <laughs> Up until I said, right, we've got to do these songs tonight. And they're like, Pete, come here, let's sit down. Like, they're not Steve's songs. Like, and you just had no idea. Well, How no, old were you? It was a gap in my education, 18. Yeah, I mean, like, that's perfectly fine not to... <laughs> yeah, I'd never listened to Arthur Lee I, I mean, that could have been tra- tragic. If you had turned up to record the, the album and you're like going, oh, I've got all these really good songs. But uh, this, is, this one's called My Old Man's Dust Man. Uh, uh, my friend wrote it, but we're going to record it. <laughs> um, what, was the, what was the first record that, like, you, like, hugged and you were just like, this is my record. I love this. This is a bit of me. The one that I played off the spool was Derek B, Bullet from a Gun. That was when I was in Cyprus, actually. I had it on cassette, so it must have been 86. It was all boot, all about bootleg cassettes then. Guns and, no, Def Leppard, Hysteria, Derek B, Bullet from a Gun, and my mum took the Def Leppard Hysteria. She said it was satanic. That means it's even better, right? Like you're like if you're if you're young you know, and your mum says something's bad, you're like, oh, yeah, oh I'm going like, to listen to this. There's like cupboard of doom with all these things, like satanic cabbage patch dolls, Def Leppard records, uh, skateboards. You know? My my granny used to make me turn over neighbours uh, because it was uh, it, it was it immoral. Yeah, it was Grange, on a half five before The Simpsons. Grange Hill. I wasn't allowed to watch Grange Hill for fuck's sake. There's no like no wonder you rebelled. No, do you know what I mean? What, what chance did you there's have? A, like, a, you couldn't even have a cabbage patch doll. There's a lesson there somewhere. Yeah, let the children run free. Um, let the children boogie. Like the, well, you were talking about like you you were eighteen and you didn't know that song from Arthur Lee, but one song and one album and one band you did know is uh, is Oasis because like that that video clip keeps to re- reappearing every once in a while if you like standing outside the record shop. I know. I want to clear this one up. Okay, Go on. so I Go was on. working in the Chocadero Centre. Okay, demonstrating wind-up frogs, okay? And I knew that there was something going on because all these TV cameras and photographers and there was a giant cardboard cutout of Noel and Liam. So I went down there. I just wanted to get on the telly, joined the queue, grabbed the cardboard cutouts, was doing these, like, stupid, like, you know, please photograph me things, jumping on the back of an open-top bus with these cardboard cutouts and then next morning run into the news agents thinking I was going to be on... 
It's going to be me on the front of the paper with these couple of cows. But yeah. I wasn't cute for Oasis. My sister was a big Oasis fan. And I later tuned in to them and decided they were brilliant. But at the time, I was far more interested in that. Getting photographed on the back of a bus with a cardboard cut. Yeah, but the, the, you went on, like, you came out with the, the line, I've written it down, that Umberto, uh, you subscribe to the Umberto eco view that Noel Gallagher is the poet and Liam is the town crier. Cracking line, though. Perfect huh? combination. A fucking great line. Where'd that come from? Yeah. Belter. That's what I'm saying. It's like, like, me. It, like it, to, to come off that off the top of your head, like, the, the guy was and just like, Have you thought about being a presenter? And then I was like, God, could you imagine you and Russell Brand as being presenters around the same time? Jesus. It would have been it would have been too much. There would have been too much back coming. Oh, <laughs> nasty! Is that a, like a sexual thing? Back no, it's like when you make your hair all big. Oh, right, back combing. Yeah, right. um, bats combing. When you uh, like, obviously, you got like a flair, like you like an incredible flair, even at that age for the for the the written the written word. Who were like the poets that you were listening to like around that time? Listen to uh, yeah. Oh, sorry, listen to reading. Right, reading and, sorry, and, uh, <laughs> dumbass here. I was consuming ever everything at that age. It was just really like my uh, my world. I didn't I didn't reckon much really to society or what was around me, and it was where I wanted to be. You know everything. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I mean, I think if you do write about things with enough passion and concentration on the rhyming scheme, they do actually happen. But at the time, I didn't know anything about foreign girls or... London at four in the morning, you know, going out to find it. But I think Jack Kerouac, I was picking up him, and that's a rite of passage, Kerouac and Bukowski and stuff like that. Isn't yeah, it? I think Bukowski came a little bit late. I was, I was quite clean, shall we say? You know what I mean? It was all more about adventure and travel and people, not so much about experimenting or getting lost in a in a substance which. You know, I kind of took to like a duck to water, but at the time I was completely you know, 
Yeah, I didn't, didn't even smoke. You, yeah, I was, was going to say you probably couldn't imagine even, like even going out and drinking too much or. I didn't. No, nah, I didn't know. Didn't know what drugs were really. What, what, like what, what switched it? Was it was it was it literature? Like was it like was it the access of um, the the authors and stuff that you were reading about? Because like that stuff can be quite romantic to. A, a, it was. A, it was. I fell into a bit of a trance actually with this idea of opium, and what it could do, and I think the difference between opium in its purest form and skag it didn't really I didn't really see it I completely romanticised it and the world and threw myself in with a yeah with a rare energy and uh, I also had a bit of trouble sleeping at that time and I found it was helping me to sleep you know mm-hmm. I was working at Filthy's late shifts and early shifts and opening the place and uh yeah, I suddenly discovered like an easy way to get a bit of shut eye and incredible dreams. Um, that's yeah, that's a really good point. Actually, yeah. Was was that around the, start, the time when Libertine started? Or the, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Like, nine, like late nineties. Ninety nine, two thousand. Yeah, it says it says on Wikipedia, right? And Wikipedia can be right sometimes and not wrong sometimes. It said my middle name's Daniel. <laughs> Listen, I've logged in. I've changed it. My yeah. middle name is not Daniel. They've put back. They've, I don't have a middle name. It's just you, like that Peter I don't have a middle name. I don't. Right. My mum said it was a waste of time. Right. What were you going to be if you were a girl? Just, uh, I don't know. I, I think I, I think they knew I was a dude. Eve, I was going to be. Eve. Yeah. Eve Doherty. Yeah. That's a, that's a very Irish name. Pete Doherty's pretty Irish, but Eve Doherty, like like you know, that's that. I feel like I've I've been to your show. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've been to my show. <laughs> Yeah. So like in 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 nineteen like so it says yeah on Wikipedia it starts in ninety seven but then the the debut album doesn't come out to two thousand and two so like what what the fuck was happening in the, the first five years just figuring it all out did you have management or did you write songs figuring it all out and then it all unraveling and yeah we did we we had songs but they were they were ballads really and then yeah. Banny who was our management she clocked the strokes and was like look they were in the same clothes as you but if you not noticed they're playing a lot faster. You know, <laughs> and getting a lot more yeah. out of the industry, speed the fucking songs up a bit, and we did. Time for Heroes was like a photo, was like, "Did you see the stylish kids in the right? Yeah, yeah. Sort of play muck. Now that'd be a demo to get hold of. Yeah, see that that sounds because it's Scarborough Fair. Um, but <laughs> no, yeah. And it's because it like. Somebody said that Carl had never even listened to The Clash, so that makes me think that like punk rock wasn't really that important to you, that it just came naturally. It did. The whole spirit was, in the end, what we became. It was just, in the, by the end of it, those five years, we were just, yeah, fucking angry, just pissed off and homeless and, yeah. You're not going you're not going to make uh, mains, we, mainstream killers ask records when you're living that lifestyle, right? Well, that's when you are, isn't it? That's when you put everything into it, or you know, that's when you knock it on the head and uh, and get on with uh, trying to find your place in the cogs and that. So was that like Strokes came out in two thousand and one. I think I was like just leaving primary school around that stage, and yeah. the form- formative record for me was like 
The Strokes, 2001. Jimmy Eat World, Bleed America, which came out in 2001. And then your record, Up the Bracket, which came out in 2002. I, I can't remember a time since then that's been as important for UK guitar music. Like, Britpop was only around the corner. So, like, Britpop had only sort of died off yeah. a couple of years. So, like, like the guitar music was still really important. But then when in 2002, you guys kicked off and kicked off a whole, like, basically seven eight years of like really a real golden period for for music with guitars in the uk mm-hmm. um and it, it was just because somebody came around and goes those songs are great speed them up the fuck <laughs> yeah. uh, they're always out there aren't they it's like in england there's always there's always lads out there and lasses getting bands together you know probably by the millions and then yeah the media would decide to shine a spotlight in a certain direction but there's untold talent out there. It's just, yeah. you know... this it's waiting to be discovered. Yeah. Who is hungry enough to fucking get in a cannon and get shot up there? <laughs> well, that's it. Like, would you, would you, would like, if... Would you recommend it to your, like, would, to your son or to your cousin or to somebody else? Like, if they're starting out, if your son's picking up guitar, like, or whatever, a stage, yeah, uh, would you go, would you go, yeah, take, it, the ba- take the button. <laughs> someone take I'm the done. button. <laughs> I'm weary now. Is is it like, is it like a, a lifestyle that you would have chose again? I don't think I've really changed that much, to be honest. Yeah, I, still, I don't feel I any st- different that I'm than I was sixteen. Apart from I'm a, bit, I'm a little bit fatter and I've got like a mortgage now. Yeah, and I <laughs> I still haven't listened to beer now. Like, you know, <laughs> and I'm still working my way through Foucault's Pendulum. Like. Did like do you? Um, That's I'm Bert Awika, but by the way, which I haven't read, but it's sat there on the shelf. I must read one day. Do you reckon that the sales of military jackets in Camden for ten years oh. went through the roof for about maybe like through the roof by about a thousand percent? No, they got they got their money back because we we were, we were awful stealing things all the while, and yeah, we weren't allowed in any of them guitar shops. Denmark Street. The day we got signed, we were straight back, and all the people that we'd. We skanked, we bought guitars off and yeah. I remember the video for... I remember putting on a military jacket and legging it, it was amazing, it was a blue one with amazing buttons, French military and legging it. Down Portobello being chased by the storeholder who had a vintage like Boer War spear. <laughs> that missed Sounds my, like Game of Thrones. Me, yeah, honestly, I wouldn't, you wouldn't even believe it. <laughs> I, I like When I was 14 I had a military jacket, I'm a, a Irish Catholic who lived in Oma. And I went out in the summertime. A red coat? Into, no, it was blue. It was a blue one. It was kind of like a mixture between your one and the one Julian Casablancas would wear. That was a cracker one. Yeah, it was one, pretty yeah. good. Don't fit into it anymore. But um, walking about uh, a town in Northern Ireland with a military jacket on um, got me into a couple more scuffs and uh, a couple more broken noses than I probably <laughs> deserved or needed. And I broke you in. Yeah, but, that, but that's it. Like, And... I wasn't quite sure whether it was Nicky Wire, whether it was you, or whether it was the Strokes, but I'm I've, I've, I've com- compounding you together in this one like military jacket. Going, I would do, I would do it again. It was worth it. You had a stencil on it then, huh? You had a stencil. I on didn't it. have a stencil on this one because it was too nice. I didn't, I didn't like. I wasn't a proper punk. I wasn't willing to put Tipex on it. If I didn't like it, there was Tipex all over it, like McConverse. We just have like, yeah, f- fuck you or something like written on the side of it. Put the boot in. That's what you gotta do at that age. Um, so recording the recording the first album up the bracket. Who recorded that with you? Was that like, did you do that with like, who was the producer? 
that's a really I've got this image now you walk around that military jacket yeah. and kids everywhere walking around and there was something in the Julian Casablanca's lyric about it was an honest man asked me for the phone tried to take control and for me that was about standing up to someone who's trying to mug you you know mm-hmm. and it was a real turnaround for me just that like, rather than hold on to your phone and legging it hey no you're not having my phone you got to, you know I'm going to fight you for my phone and you uh, have- it was Mick Jones that, that produced the record yeah I, I want to go back now. Yeah, <laughs> Did you have a relationship with them, the, the, the Strokes, around that time? Did you cross paths? I was working at Filthies and... Because I know you just had a relationship with Adam first, Green. My first love was this girl called Francesca. She was stunning. She used to wear these black and yellow knee-length socks. And she said, I'm just going up to Sainsbury's. right?" And on way, when she got back, she'd been ages. Where the fuck have you been? She said, oh, I met these five... These five New York lads from a band, they were all wearing like, these really cool leather jackets. And they're like, what the fuck? And they told me that. They invited <laughs> me to their gig. And I went, yeah. And I said, come, my boyfriend, come too. And they said, can you get us any acid? And she said, can you? I said, so I took that first night at Heaven. I'd never seen him like it. I didn't even know it could still happen. And I knew that they'd all dropped tabs as well. And to see him like, up there in the dark, no lights, and all these, it was just everyone, just like lost in this madness, mosh pit and... There was no mix, it was just this quagmire of music and everyone was just having it and I thought, shit, it can still fucking happen. It was like being, I don't know, in, in the cop, you know, in the late 70s or it was what I'd always wanted to see and feel and it gave us all injection of life. And, yeah, I was curious about him and when we ended up getting signed to Rough Trade and we went on tour with him, I tried to, I tried to communicate with him but it was very odd. He just came up to me and... I can't remember what he said, but he's saying they weren't. Yeah, you were. Uh, what did he say to me? You're not Brazilian. Get out of my way. Or something. Like <laughs> Maybe he's a big fan of Brazilian he said, What's football. Up? Or I just had my lovely little tin. Right, I was really proud of my little tin. You know, and and he just sniffed all the coke out of it. I said, oh, "I'm sorry. Did I do all your cocaine?" And then my mate Alan was uh, had a big scrap with their security. And they said, listen, man, why do you like to hang out with people who like to fight? It's not cool. And, uh, yeah, I thought they were wicked, but all my friends at that time, including Carl, actually, resented them. Well, because they were so good? Because they were good and popular, and uh, I was like, no, let's enjoy it. And then we're there. I'm at Brixton Academy one time, fucking ready for the gig, really excited. And Alan, who's under there, like, going, this is shit, this is shit, we're much better than this. Oh fucking hell, fellas! But, you know? but that's kind of like that's that's part part of the course of being in a band. I was in a band for nine years, and we used to like look at any band that was on above us, going, oh, "What the fuck are they doing on above us?" Occasionally, someone comes along with tunes that you just like, you just you, you need them. Like someday or like reptile. I mean, the whole first album's just incredible. Yeah, hard to explain. You see, the thing with the Libertines is like you got three three. Cool right. two arms. It was cool two arms completely. Like the fact they went to private school and all that didn't matter, and. Uh, and their security were massive anyway. You're never going to get anywhere with all them big Australian lads. <laughs> Left hand got proper bounced. You know? Yeah, proper bounced. But then that started happening with you. So, like, when, when like, you know, as as forward, as foresight as that was, like, in literally a year and 18 months maybe later, the, like, the the same thing was happening with you guys. Like, you were playing, playing pretty big gigs. Uh, people wanted to come... There was a Pete Doherty in the crowd looking at you who exactly. went out and started a band. Yeah. Exactly, and that was really what I was writing about. Climbing inside 
analysis inside analysis of you yourself up your own aris basically lost in this fame that you crave for so long you know and maybe you suddenly because i always thought oh, i just know what i want to talk about all that because it's a bit this, this, this a bit, bit weird saying right morrissey was famous by the time he's 23 i got to be famous by the time of three and then it's good to have those parameters like you know like the Beatles had written how many albums by the time they were like 25 <clears throat> the Smiths had finished started and finished in like six years and you really feel it as well then, yeah at that time it, like there's there's nothing like, nobody puts as much pressure on you as you do yourself no. and around about that time it probably forced you into writing the songs that got you to where the initial part of the Libertine started plus the fact you probably just want to be better than people as well do you know like that's a, that's a big thing yeah taking the best songs are just reversing the chord progression <laughs> and, open for, and open for the best like, yeah. right? so what was like how what was the point where you were like going fuck this is kicking off like we're not just a first on at the at the Camden Assembly or whatever like that moment at heaven when I when I felt that surge and and everyone was together it was like it happened in Liverpool as well with this, and it was just gangs of lads in Reebok Classics getting into this band and then we went off and it, and, it, and we got signed and all that but we didn't it wasn't until we so that was what we wanted we wanted to surge we wanted to score a goal at the loft end and see the crowd go mental but for a while it was people with folded arms who'd seen the hype and yeah. were like well come on then impress me but then I think it was Sheffield Leadmill when they had to turn the hoses like, on the crowd because they were going so mental it was the first time I seen a mosh pit I remember we started a horror show we'd been in Scandinavia playing to the folded arms in the tiny places and we did the lead mill the album come out people knew the songs before coming to the gig for the first time and bang that was it and apparently that night uh, the Arctic Monkeys formed as well they all met there at that gig at that gig and the other lot uh, Milburn were all there and uh, I don't know if they'll admit it so now, that, they, so were like their, they were all in their red jackets in the crowd but then they switched and were like, nah, your shit, we're better. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you, like, you passed the bat on before you'd even, like... No, I didn't know, I dropped it. You didn't even <laughs> I, was, I thought I was well away. <laughs> but like that, but that. we looked up and looked at each other during our show. And down, 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 it. And we was like, yeah, this is it. Let's have it. And we, and we just went with it and rode it until... We can't stay away for 72 days, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. So, like... What what was your relationship with like the Arctic Monkeys when you seen that popping off? Because that must have been like you, I, I, your gig I, I, must have been like Manchester Free Trade Hall. Thank and, like, you. I didn't 70s. want to say that, but yeah. So so like when <laughs> the, the gig where Sex Pistols played and um, what was it like Joy Division formed and Buzzcocks formed and somebody told me like Mick Hucknell was there, which I find hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was your gig. That was your free free trade. Yeah, the, the, hall. The, the Grundies of Kabibble when these filthy pants fell out of the back of the tour bus and then this really fit tour manager she held them up and went who's are these and Carl was like the Pete's it was a horrible moment <laughs> awful that was that day and something else then as well oh no the Arctic Monkeys I refused I just refused to listen to them and managed to avoid them for a long long time and now sometimes you, you no matter how I try because I heard they were good so I didn't want to listen to them yeah you don't listen to anyone who's good I decided I had I'd I don't know, and then there was a few things that happened where I didn't know, you know, I didn't know them by sight, and they'd come to say hello, and I had them slung out or something, and then when I tried to go and say hello, they stared me, I wasn't allowed to go, and 
anywhere near the backstage. Oh so shit! So like, I still haven't like, really. I still haven't met them. Kind of like a I mean? com- comedy of errors, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bit. I don't know that fella. He's a. Uh, I suppose he's a good songwriter, isn't he? Yeah, he's he is. Like he can't. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in a relationship with him. No, he really fucking pulls him apart in them songs. You know, the ones I've heard. You know, there's a few embarrassed girls out there. I tell you now. What about what about the songs you write? Surely you've like come on like uh, uh, when you finished your um, relationship with Kate Moss. Then oh there, yeah, there, no, there, I you must have got I some know. serious amount of music yeah. out of that, right? No, I don't. I don't really. I always change the names and. Yeah, just do with the Stone Roses and Oasis doing call them call them Sally. I did. Well, what Katie did was yeah, what Sally what did. Sally did, and then it was what Lucy did. You know, I gave a lot of people a home break that, that when that that song came <laughs> out. A lot of people got off lightly for things that like unforgivable things. You burn someone's teddy bear. Huh? Who burnt your teddy bear? I gotta ask now. You see, you, well, it wasn't you, Sally and it wasn't Lucy. So all right, well, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for. Uh, uh, Pandy, keep an eye for Pandy. Pandy, a black and white one-eyed teddy bear with a Kylie Minogue transfer on the back of his head from Smash Hits issue nineteen eighty-seven. That if there's a narcissist out there called Katie, we know what you've done. Apparently, got, <laughs> apparently got burnt. So the 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 second record, the Libertines, like a, I mean, so much shit kicked off in between that that like it must have been difficult to even record that record. I I, I was glued to Enemy every single week. But in Oma, we used to get Enemy a week later than everybody else, so I was always a week behind the times. <laughs> First day of recording. Yeah, I wish I, I was a week behind the times myself, mate. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> a week. The first day of recording, we went in and we recorded about 14 songs. Bang. And then we sat down and had some lunch, and then I can't remember what was said, something about... He said something about the burglary, and then I've gone, I've gone for him, because by this time... I've been to prison and I'm not scared of him anymore after all these years. And his hand grabs me by the back of the shirt as I've gone for him and I've gone across the glass table. And I, I didn't even know Alan McGee had these two six or four Maori twins positioned. And then that was it. I didn't go back to the studio, but it didn't matter because they had, had your these songs. I just I didn't go back. And Did then, you do that in one day? I think it was a couple of days. A couple actually, of days. 14 songs. And it was all sort of like, if you listen to Can't Stand Me Now, it starts off with the end of one take. And crashes straight in, it like the, the um, what's his name, Jonathan Ross, the Jonathan Ross version of "Can't Stand Me Now." Yeah, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. That band that we were was yeah, we were capable, and Mick Jones caught it, and that was it. I didn't really go back in. I think. So like, was it hard when you when you went it's heartbreaking? I'd get there in the morning and just sort of get to the door and then turn around because there was cause it was going to be murders. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's probably best to take yourself out of the equation if it's going to happen like that. And then, I mean, Baby Shambles and Dirty Pretty Things, basically, like after that, after the album came out, and I found a new friend anyway. Fragging her on, <laughs> Baby Shambles. Fragging her on. It felt, it felt. <laughs> but like, is that is that when it is? That, is Can you just say that because I've been doing like that in a normal life thing for years. Fucking heroin. No, no, cracking heroin. Uh, cracking heroin. That's amazing. There you bro. go. You me, like, is, is that is that when it like really kicked off? Because obviously you were like in, oh, in pain after the, well, the breakup, was, right? Uh, yeah, but there seems to be all sunny, sunny days in my memory, and I get quite turned on by the rain. You know, the sun was like a bit of a struggle. The bloody sun. What's it like now? Because obviously you've been you've been on off on off 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 off. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. Okay. That's totally fine. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm, um, not, I'm not here to push that sort of shit. Like, um, baby shambles, right? You're you're sitting and you're chatting with uh, you're chatting to a whole new band. I know I've met Drew a couple of times before. Who's your bass player? I think I, I chased him into a bakery one day because I met him a couple of times. I DJed with him once. And I was like, hello. And he turned around shocked going like, oh God, who the fuck are you? And I was like, oh shit, he doesn't recognize me. I was like, all right, pure awkward. But Drew, like, Drew is such a level bass player. And like with the Libertines, John is such a level bass player. Like you have to have a level bass player. I'm a bass player, but I don't feel too level, but that's why I'm not in the band anymore. John started to move though. He started tapping <clears throat> his foot. And moving his head a lot oh, more, yeah. yeah. He's got that sort of pigeon head going on. You're calling John a pigeon head? I don't know. All bass players have got it. That just means bopping. I see what you mean, yeah. Goo. Yeah. Goo. You just bop it He's a mean bass player, that John Astle. He really is. I don't know what to say about Drew, man. He's gone to play for Liam Gallagher. <laughs> right. Uh, How do you feel about Liam nicking your bass player? <laughs> I think we should have a sponsored boxing match. And the loser gets Drew. Dude, Liam Gallagher goes out running every single day. Do you think you're gonna have the cardio that Liam Gallagher's got? I don't have the cardio. Listen, I'm like 15 years younger than him. I weigh him in, mate. I weigh him in. <laughs> I mean, do you know what? I would pay. I would pay. This pay, is it. No, people would. Wouldn't they? People, people would though. We I would pay a lot of money to see that. We can make that. a fortune for ourselves uh, for good causes. Like, like it'd be a great idea. And yes, he does good jogging every day. And you know. Just for the trash talk alone, alone, like can you imagine the three, four weeks <laughs> lead into that. Yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to find myself a sparring, I, sparring partner. Who am I going to find a Mancunian with size three feet to spar with? <laughs> but the thing is, you're you're taller than he is. Like you're like what six five, six four. No, six four. Jesus Christ! Well, you're tall, man. Yeah, six three and a half. That was the hat. The hat six one. I'm six one and a half. Last time I got arrested, I was six one and a half. <laughs> And um, he offered me out once. I heard that it was at Kentish Town Forum. Who Liam? Yeah, he said Liam Gallagher's downstairs. He said he's going to kick your head in. So I went down and spoke to him. I said Liam, we were right, aren't we? He went, yeah, we were right, man. Fucking yeah, you're a puppet. I'm a puppet. Fucking hell. And that was the end of it. That was it. Yeah, I was very disappointed. You called called his bluff. I don't know. Maybe someone was just stirring. Well, he's been in a lot of fights. Maybe he got he's his, had he his got, teeth knocked out. He a got few his teeth knocked out in Germany or something like that. It was in uh, Milan, I think. Was it Milan? Yeah, doesn't but the thing is, matter I'm, where not, you are I'm, when not, I'm not saying I'm not saying you're giving it the big end, right? Slag off Liam Gallagher. There was an occasion, and you know, nine out of ten of my friends, I got ten friends, laugh at this when I tell him it. But once at the V Festival, there was an inflatable penis in the crowd, and he said to the whole crowd, "Glad to see Pete Docker, he could make it today." So I owe him one. No, 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 he needs a slap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that before. That's amazing. I, I swear to God, I can't get the fuck I can't do the rest of this interview now because I can't get the pay-per-view idea out of my head now I'm just like thinking of like Joe Rogan commenting on it, it could and work. all the rest of it it going, could work Pete's actually a master of Muay Thai striking he's an incredible <laughs> yeah, yeah. striker whereas yeah. Liam has the trash talk <laughs> cage fighting <laughs> somebody told me that Carl uh, your um, uh, Libertines uh, co- co-host is yeah. a big fan of uh, cage fighting UFC. He, he, he's been training for one out of the old um, mixed martial arts thing in Stoke New mm. and he goes with his boys I think he's actually building an army you know Carl he always used to talk about that <laughs> he did so he's got all these kids now and he's training them up mate. yeah um, well he started the revolution when he was 18 and now he's, he's figured out there's a different way to do the revolution and it's it's, it's by starting an army yeah there's different ways to move man. what was it like when you when you, you, you sort of like 
reunited. I did an interview with you guys around about that time in Scotland in the Glen Eagles Hotel, um, and I was very nervous because I was obviously a big fan. Um, and it was around about tea in the park, I think, and uh, it was like it was so it was so odd to be in the room with like a, a band that was coming back together. Like, how did how did that feel for you around that time? I was overexcited. I think to be honest, uh, we had a few new songs on the boil like Fame and Fortune I think we tried it for the first time that day if I remember <laughs> your headline set yeah yeah and in typical Libertines fashion it's like we would probably buzzed it up actually yeah but that's alright when you've, yeah. got, when you've no, got a no, drummer they, like Gary and you've they, got a bass player like John yeah no the review says this new song has got a really interesting intro but we'd all <laughs> we all got it out of time but, yeah <laughs> so when you, when you like uh, got back together was it like I kind of imagined some sort of like like the sofa in Oprah and somebody would come out and be like well we've got your long lost friend yeah. Carl here and everybody's crying and hugging and you thought you're never going to see him again well surprise surprise <laughs> you're getting deported tomorrow <laughs> so it's a, yeah it's still a black sort of a yeah it's a surprise surprise you're getting back together you know. was it emotional or was it just like, like let's get back to this fuck's sake uh, 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 we're still trying to work out what to do you know turns out Gary and John have got all these songs and we've forgotten how to write so we've got all these great songs but the Gary and John's you know yeah but you haven't forgotten to write you've got a record that's coming out oh tomorrow. no no you're right yeah no you're right we just need to get in the same room so he's been coming down to Margate where we have a studio now Libertine Studio is it a studio now it's or? a studio it's finished the studio's finished it's great but, like wasn't it meant to, isn't it a hotel as no, well it's a hotel upstairs but the ground floor is now a studio where ah. it was the massage part, uh, the sauna and all that and now Carl's got his liquor license, and so we're having the Wastelands bar downstairs. But yeah, we've had a few sessions. The guy from the Prodigy come down a couple of weeks ago, and he's been demoing for us, like getting us together and taking ideas. And yeah, is that, is that like in a sort of engineer capacity? Or is is he going to put some Produce, jungle beats on it? Well, no, producing. Uh, he's well, he's going to do some. He's going to yeah. Do what he does. Yeah, no, Carl turned up with these. He said, "Right, I got this drum beat. It's a bit like the Beastie Boys. I never really listened to the Beastie Boys. We, me, and you are going to go in the booth, and we're just going to spit some bars." Peter said, "We're going to what?" <laughs> <laughs> so, bear in mind, when I was eight, I had this Derek B record that I listened to again and again. No one knows any of Derek B's rhymes. Yeah, I've got them all up there. Right? So I was coming out these amazing fucking lines. We were like, "Wow, what's that?" I, was like, I don't know. It just came out. <laughs> so now that he's edited them, and yeah, you're going to get a lawsuit from Derek B. He's dead. Yeah, his estate <laughs> died potless as well. So, like the the, the idea for like, I mean, most people when when they heard the Libertines were opening a hotel in Margate were like, "Fucking hell, what's this going to be like?" But it seems like it's all like above board, legit, a proper have hotel. A look at it. Have a look. What, what I mean, and no, I've seen. I, I saw like a. I watched the Channel Four interview and they did like a, a, a show around it. It looked it looked proper. The car, the fellow that did Carl painted Carl's house. That guy, I forget his name. He, he's a dogger. He's painted it black and gold outside, and it looks incredible. It looks incredible. And, um, yeah, Libyan's Hotel. I'm going to call it Hotel the King. But everyone thinks that's a terrible title. What is it, Hotel the King? No, it's not, but that's what <laughs> I wanted to call <laughs> Hotel the King would... Hotel the King of Rock and Roll? Yeah. Hotel the King would would like would be a good name for about like a year, and then you'd be like, "Oh, oh God, I have to call it Hotel the King." Yeah, no, and then you just you take just the, call the King off it, and it's just Hotel. 
<laughs> but I've seen that all the things because it got voted the worst hotel in the southeast of England. That was before you bought it. Oh yeah, no, of course. Yeah, well, that no. means there's nowhere to go but up. Well, yeah, but no, people can be cruel. Yeah, yeah. No, that lady, she just didn't suffer fools gladly. You know, someone would complain about finding spunk on the pillow, and she'd just kick them out. To be fair, if I if I find spunk on my pillow, I probably would complain as well. It wouldn't be a very who's good review on Airbnb. Who's going to even admit to that? It's obviously a joke. I remember in rehab once, this girl caused the big scene. So someone's wanked off in my toilet, and everyone had to go to a bathroom, and I was like, that's shampoo. You know what I mean? Someone would come and squirt it. You know, get to the bottom of these things, you, you man. Like never Columbo. Know. I know. Send Columbo in. I, I, I get my, my lowest. Wife's, my wife's a big fan of shampoo. I would get my lowest rating yet, four out of five. <laughs> so the 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 Putamadris, how do you get them together? How did it come together? Is it a Margate thing? No, 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 no. It is a Floresta thing, actually. Yeah, it was born in Barcelona's Floresta. This band with me and uh, Rafa, the drummer, and uh, hence the symbol for the band. Uh, which is the Chavali. You've got your gu- gu- guitar with you. About when Jesus kills the pig. Or not Jesus, someone kills the pig. But the symbol of the band is the Chavali because they're everywhere in the florist and they're a protected species. Yeah. It's not religious. It's like a, that's a deep symbol and then the, the the name of the band brings it back down to its 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 base quality, isn't it? Putamadris means... Motherfuckers, I suppose. Mother, yeah. Or the mother of the whore, but I didn't know it meant that. <laughs> he just said it all the time. Yeah. When he was happy and when he was disappointed, oh, it's the puta madre. Well, what's happening? Um, today I am the puta madre. Eh? So, and everybody says it. Like they, they've got some weird curse words in Spanish. You know, they say, uh, "God, you know, I shit on God and I shit in the milk and I shit in the sea." It's like, and that's is that like, like it's just away, ba- bad, away, bad translations. No, swear away swear words that man, women, and children use. There's a track on the the record, or it assumes on the record, but it's a single because I haven't I haven't got the album yet. It's called Paradise Is Under Your Nose. Aye. What a beautiful track! Nice. What an amazing yeah. track! I listened to it a couple. I listened to it four times in a row today, and oh, I yeah. never listened to anything more than once, twice, maybe. Jack Jones, mostly wrote that Jack. I've got a couple of lines, but you know, write a word, nick a third. Uh, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a great songwriter, that lad, and uh, I'm really honoured that he's let me have that tune. Yeah, a bit like for lovers in a way. Yeah, just a yeah, yeah, no, it, it, def- it definitely is like, and so like with this, uh, this is this is your pride and joy now for a little while. Yeah, you have to follow your heart, don't you? Yeah. These are all my my tunes that I, that I have now that I believe in, and that I don't have any trouble getting up and singing again and again. Is there any Libertines tracks that you can't sing, or Baby Shambles tracks? You don't really know until you're halfway through. And first you're just line, like, and then you think, it. oh no, I can't do this. Yeah. I cannot do this. We have a plough on. Gotta uh, be done. Yeah. Speaking of ploughing on, I've, I'm going to get ploughed on through by your manager if I don't uh, wrap this up right now. Um, but thank you very much for, for, for giving me that demo. Like, I, I mean, I've probably listened to the second album or the first album. I'm not sure which one I've listened to more, but more I've definitely listened to them more than any most other records like I grew, grew up with that record so th- thank you very much from a teenage me thanks Paul. the wait is f- 
finally over and sport is back on Now TV. It's lights out and away we go! Where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports and BT Sport together and all without a contract. What a fantastic part. So whether there's a day, week or whole month of action you just can't miss, you can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet. Full terms apply. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.